welcome to the Perfect Gentleman podcast. It is I, uh, Zach Faulkner-Barfield, the uh, founder of the Perfect Gentleman, and alongside me is the devilishly dapper and cunningly charming Mr. James Marwood. Thank you very much, Zach. How are you? I'm very well, sir. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you. Did you have a good break? I did. I had a very quiet, festive break. It was one of those ones where not much was done, but it was very lovely. I did a lot of cooking. Excellent. As I know you did as well. Yes, I did a lot of cooking. And also we have our family tradition of doing puzzles. We did three uh, thousand piece puzzles this festive period. So we get a little obsessed by them. (laughs) Yes, I can see that. I took the opportunity to catch up on some of my reading. Excellent. And also take stock of how much reading I have to do. (laughs) I have a a stack of unread books now that is around four foot high and climbing. So I need to continue that reading. Yes, I think it's a very good idea. We'll talk about resolutions shortly, but one of my things for 2017, I don't tend to say resolutions, one of my things is to read 50 pages a day. Okay, that's a novel approach. I'd been aiming at trying for a book a week, but 50 pages a day is much more doable. You could probably read more, but if you sort of go, I'm going to read 50 pages today, then you'll get through an average book in a week. Yes, absolutely. No, I like that. In terms of cooking, did you cook Christmas dinner? Yes, I did cook Christmas dinner. Our Christmas dinner was Boxing Day this year because my uh, family came over on that day. So on Christmas Day itself, I cooked Vila Stitchel. Oh, nice. Vila Scallops. And I cooked Daffinoise Gratin, so Daffinoise Potatoes. Oh, so good. Uh, Boxing Day, which was our turkey day, as I call it. My mother and I did the whole lot. We used one of your tips. I saw a tip of yours on Facebook about brandy and honey parsnips. Yes, did it work? That was fantastic. They are it so good, very aren't they? Well. Yes, yes. I did that on Christmas Day. I've had it requested three more times since. We approved of that one. Thank you, sir. Excellent. Good. I'm glad to hear it. And a bit of baking. So I made some cookies. I made a chocolate orange gateau. Lovely. Expanding one's repertoire for twenty seven. I did a a multi-roast for the first time. A turkey crown stuffed with duck on Christmas Day. How was that? It was delicious. It was really, really good. The duck was fantastic. Cooked inside the turkey. It stopped the turkey being at all dry. I can recommend those. And then as a surprise, I don't think listeners in the US will know this, but European listeners will probably know Lidl, a German supermarket chain, which is generally budget-friendly. The stuff's fine, but it's quite cheap. They had, just after Christmas, special offers on frozen three-bird roasts. And it was so cheap, I thought, well, why not? If it's terrible, I'll just use it to make sandwiches. But it was really good. A turkey crown stuffed with duck and guinea fowl, wrapped in bacon, sausage meat and an apricot stuffing. And it was really good. Less than £10. Fabulous. We just finished just a couple of days ago all the sort of food that we bought for Christmas. So what are we to talk about today, James? Well, you mentioned New Year's resolutions, and that is the topic for the season. I think that would be interesting to talk about. And then there's been a little glut of news articles and blog posts all focusing on casual clothing. So I think that might be cool as well. Let's shall we start with the New Year's resolutions. Yes. You mentioned you don't make resolutions. I do tend to set goals and I set those kind of things for periods of time, usually quarterly goals. I tend not to do shorter time periods because I find that you don't tend to work so well mentally with shorter time periods unless you're very good like that and very disciplined i find quarterly goals is probably the best way of doing goals it's interesting you say that because i believe virginia wolf that she did her resolutions in three monthly blocks that i think works much better a year is a long time 
to look at, but a couple of weeks is not much use. And as long as you can judge what you can do in that quarter. It isn't that long, but it isn't that short either. And then I choose a couple of habits that I wish to start this year. The problem is, I think, when people do resolutions is they try and put themselves into this pressure situation. Yes. Where it's kind of, I must do this, I must do that. You've got to build the habit in. And that requires a little bit of dedication, a little bit of discipline, but it's making sure that you don't chastise yourself if you don't do it. Absolutely. I want to be able to read 50 pages a day, every day. Now, some days I won't make it, some days I'll try and make it, but if that's kind of my overarching thought process, eventually I'll get there. Yes. And if I don't read 50 pages, I read 25, okay, to start, I'm going to keep going. And as long as you track it in some way, shape or form, so you know that you've done it, it starts to build. And, and so that's kind of my thought process. What, what do you do, sir? I'm much like you. I used to make resolutions. I tend not to now. And one of the things that was a turning point for me was an article I read January 2011 by a guy, Merlin Mann. And I think I've talked about him before. He's a podcaster, broadcaster, but he used to do this really cool website called 43 Folders which looks at productivity and getting things done. His point, which resonated well with me, was that you don't make fundamental life changes by making a list whilst you're drinking Prosecco and wearing a pointy paper hat. <laughs> Put that way, it's a, you have a point there, Merlin. Yes, well made. The idea is that you kind of, if you avoid these dramatic attempts to completely change direction, you know, excellence is a habit. We are what, what we repeatedly do as... Plato said, I think, and you're going to fall down sometimes. And so you need to have targets, which are things you aim towards and make steady, concerted progress to that time over time over time. Sometimes you'll fail, as you say. Something that Merlin talks about is the first pancake. The first pancake that you make is always rubbish. You know, you give it to the dog or you scoff that one yourself before anyone else comes into the kitchen. But it always comes out burnt or undercooked or just funny-shaped or whatever. But the second one is is fine, and the third one, blah, blah, blah. And that's really the way that I think you should approach making change in your life. You know, you're not going to get it right the first time, or maybe the second or the third or the fourth. Doesn't matter. Keep trying. Keep trying. Keep trying. And that's far more useful than saying at the heady heights of 10 past 12 when you're full of bonhomie and, and feeling good with the world that's it i'm going to go to the gym tomorrow and do all this exercise and then you wake up five hours later with a stinking hangover and, and all you really want to do is sit on the sofa and eat bacon slow and steady wins the race i mean it's that thing is incremental improvement actually beats drastic change there are some people that can do drastic change i think they're outliers rather than the norm person you know the people i know who've made truly life-changing events it's come at a point where they've had a real impetus or something has happened like my father for example changed massive amounts of his lifestyle as a result of a heart attack so he had that trigger of a heart attack to say right i've got to change how i exercise change how i eat stop smoking all of these things or i'm going to die most of us aren't in that position and without that sort of bolt from the blue to say boom everything's different now it's really, really hard to do that. And even then, not everyone is motivated by those kind of things. Won't name names, but there's a certain person in my life and my family. He has a disease and he doesn't take care of himself. Even the bolt from the blue has not changed him. And this does happen. I think you're right. Usually there's some motivator if you have to massively change. But mostly, success comes from slow, steady improvement. Yes. You go to the gym for a day, you don't suddenly drop 10 kilos and have six-pack abs. As you say, the first pancake is awful. You've got to keep making the pancakes until you get better. Absolutely. Failure is the sound of 
beginning to be a little bit less rubbish. One of the things on resolutions, which is tricky because I know I've done this before, not always at New Year. I've seen my friends do it. One of my friends called me out on it a few years ago. And the point is that you aren't going to change your life just by deciding or by saying you're going to do something different. As we say, you know, you've got to keep going with it. Some people just rock from epiphany to epiphany thinking this is what's going to sort out my life. Nothing's going to make you into Superman. It doesn't happen. But you're you. You can just be you a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better. That's the trick. you know. So accept that you're not going to make dramatic change first off, that it's something that you can actually do, that you're going to mess up and drop the ball sometimes, and that's okay, and that you kind of need to build scaffolding around what you do to reinforce the decisions that you've made. You know, I used to be a very heavy smoker up until my mid-20s, and I gave up with the help of, of friends and colleagues. And then around six months ago, during a weak moment, I started smoking again. I haven't had a cigarette now for four days. The first time I gave up, I had family and friends who were really pushing me to do it. And I had support from my GP, nicotine patches and all of that. And it was hard and it worked. This time I'm giving up and I'm using a, a vape pen from time to time, spending time with people who don't smoke. I've built scaffolding to support me and make sure that... If I slip, something will catch me. That's the trick. I totally agree with that. I think that's incredibly important. Having a support structure of some description out there makes it easy. I remember when I gave up alcohol, and that was a health reason. It triggers my asthma. I went to a doctor, and he told me that was my biggest asthma trigger. I did do a drastic change. I changed my whole way of being. You know, I didn't drink. And what was very interesting is all my friends changed. Yes. Not out of choice. They just kind of changed because I didn't go out drinking with them anymore. We didn't tend to see each other anymore. So that's the same principle. If you hang around with people who are eating burgers all the time, you're not going to change. It's easier to go to the gym with a buddy. Absolutely it is. If you don't have a buddy to go to the gym with, there are social media photocracy, for example. I love it. It's a points-based, because I'm basically just like a lab rat. Offer me free, meaningless points for doing something, I'll do it. But also, with photocracy, I make gym buddies. Or if you can afford it, get a coach. Somebody who just will keep you doing the right sort of stuff, but also will shout at you when you're being lazy. Or the other thing is, um, Tim Ferriss has talked about this, and a couple of other people have talked about this. Put some skin in the game. Give some money to your mother or your best friends and say, if I don't do this, buy this. Give this money to charity. If I do it, then I get the money back. We as human beings like competition. We like rewards. We like being successful in those kinds of things um make it a habit get friends around you to support you make it achievable don't go nuts people go i'm 20 stone and i want to be 12 stone in a year well it's achievable but it's gonna be hard yes let's set you up to win so if you keep winning you keep doing it if you don't keep winning you're not going to keep doing it. and it has to be something you care about just because you think you should you can't fake caring you can build it over time there's an element of i think you can fake it till you make it and if you spend time with people who care about something you will care about something you've got to care about it in other words don't make resolutions start to change your habits if you're gonna do some kind of resolution if you like the name set up a goal set it at about three months make it achievable small wins Put some skin in the game. Get some friends around you to support you. Make sure you care about it. So there we go. What are your... Apart from the... So smoking obviously was one of them. Smoking. The giving up again. Yeah. Maintaining my fitness journey. Excellent. The reading. I might tweak that. I might steal your 50 pages a day. Steal away, sir. Steal away. All the, all the best ideas are stolen. So on my side of things, my thing is to get to um, 95 kilos, which would be the lightest I will have been for some time. So get the 95 kilos for the first quarter and eventually by the end of the year get to 90 kilos. And as you know, I am challenging myself 
myself this quarter, I'm going back on stage. Yes. After a 10-year absence of acting, I'm going back on stage. I'm learning lines and doing that, which is a lot of fun, so that's my challenge myself. And you haven't done that by half either, have you? You're not doing something simple. No, I'm not doing something simple. I am taking the lead in a restoration comedy called The Country Wife. It's a lot of lines, a lot of fun, and it's very rude. Yes, it's in Regency English, not in modern English. It is in proper Regency English, yes, and has all the restoration-type language. If you fancy coming along, audience, it is on in March, the first week in March, at the Oast Theatre in Tunbridge in the UK. If you want, send us a note on email or Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, and I'll tell you more details. And like you, it's my 50 pages a day increase my reading habit, not being blinded by television. That's kind of the other thing. And then there's a secret project, which is on my list, but um, more about that another time. That sounds good. I'm hoping I can come and get to see the show that you're in, because it sounds fun. The bits you've told me about it, I'll enjoy the uh, the rudeness of it. It is very rude. It's not very gentlemanly, let's put it that way. He's not, very, he's not a very gentlemanly character. No, no. Um, <laughs> but, um, but it's Regency English, so it counts as art. So. It does, it does, yes, yes. Yeah. We'll talk about it more another, nearer the time. Uh, we talk about Restoration England and how bad it naughty was. Anyway, so James, that's our resolutions dealt with. Because it's the festive period, the gentleman news has been thin on the ground. It has. Apart from one thing which has caught your eye and my eye, which is the rise and the change in men's clothing going casual. You shared with me an article from the Philadelphia Inquirer at the beginning of the year, which is about casual clothing, relaxed trousers, softer blazers, slightly more casual patterns, herringbones and window panes and things, which is interesting. There's a quote in there from Jeanne de Leon, who's a menswear editor for a, a trend forecasting firm, WGSN. They talk about and refer to things like JP Morgan Chase, that this year allowed employees to dress down point to guys like Mark Zuckerberg or David Karp who were are famous for their hoodies and casual clothing and Saks Fifth Avenue a big American retailer has brought out a seven office essential set of a dressy polo tailored trousers a sort of hybrid shoe that's part trainer part shoe a soft leather bag rather than a briefcase which is interesting and that corresponds with two other articles there's Derek had put this on, which is one of the blogs that we mentioned quite a bit because they're great, did an article, actually he did two, he did one on how to dress casually and not look like schmuck at the beginning of the year and then he responded to it with a Mickey taking comedy one on the 5th, which is well looking into, I'll not go into it and spoil any of his jokes and because a lot of them are far too rude for this podcast, I suspect Derek was having a little fun at the expense of some of the put this on commentators. And then also, one of my favourite style writers, Simon Compton, who writes for the Permanent Style blog, wrote about applying sartorial principles to casual clothing. So how about you, Zach? Do you wear casual clothing? I know, you know, most of the time you and I see each other, we're in social occasions, and it tends to be a suit or you're wearing some kind of tailoring. Do you wear casual clothing? I do. I think for me, is if I'm representing the brand or the company or myself as the brand, let's put it that way, then I will wear clothing that's appropriate, a tailored suit of some description. Yes. And if I'm working, I will wear a tailored suit of some description. If I'm not, then I tend to be casual, yes, but I tend to be 
quite formal in my casual wear. As you all well know, unless I'm going exercising, you'll never see me in a pair of jogging pants, tracksuit bottoms or anything like that. I don't own a pair of jeans. Yes. I have polo shirts. In fact, I'm sitting here recording this wearing a polo shirt and a pair of trousers. So yes, I do wear casual clothing. I tend to make it as smart as I can. I feel more comfortable smarter casual than just plain casual. I'm not one to wander around in a t-shirt and trainers ever, unless I'm on holiday. But even then, I tend to find that I like tailored shorts. In terms of colours, what do you wear colour-wise? So my colour palettes are quite samey. I tend to wear blues, a lot of blue. I have discovered burnt orange, which I like very much. Some tan and purple, of course, for the brand colours. I have a little bit of green in my wardrobe, but not a huge amount. I did have a sneaky sales trip after Christmas. I'm very specific about my sale buying. I tend to be quite ruthless about it. Well, it's easy to get sucked into buying things you don't really need just because they're cheap. Yeah, absolutely, always. I shall name the store, because I, I do like them, but unfortunately, if I name the store, I'm going to get lots of people coming to visit them. But there's a lovely uh, Spanish retailer called Adolfo Dominguez. I suppose they're a bit like Massimo Dutti in their style, but they're not part of that group they have one store in london i go in there on the sales and buy some trousers because for me the trousers fit really well they're generally different you don't tend to see them anywhere else and they vary in colors so sometimes they're quite subdued this year they're a bit more subdued sometimes they're a bit more bolder in their colors but the quality is always good they always last very well they're always a um, nice fitting and good quality clothing and on a sale they're worth purchasing because they're half the price they would be normally there's usually a 50 to 60% discount. So I generally buy my year's trousers in there in the sales. Interestingly, there was a couple of tan pairs of trousers, and this year I brought a dark grey pair of trousers. Grey is probably my go-to casual clothing colour. Okay. Especially for that slightly more formal, dress down Friday or weekend brunch or something like that. Grey is normally my go-to. It's interesting you talked about fit and about the slightly more tailored shorts, because I think that's what makes the difference between being casual and just being sloppy. When you look at the articles that Simon and Derek, the permanent style, and put this on articles, they take different approaches, but they all start with exactly the same basics as everything else, which is that sort of fit and colour equation. Is the colour right for you? And is it right for the situation? And does it fit? Get clothes that fit and try and branch out a little bit from jeans. I love flannels, chinos or khakis as you call them in the US and cords cords are good in fact that's what I'm wearing today is a pair of moss brown cords and a a navy blue shawl cardigan just over a plain black t-shirt it looks okay I think and it's very comfortable I'll be sitting in my big armchair later reading in it and I I think that sort of thing you know relatively well-fitting knitwear even sportswear you know if if you're going to wear things like sweatshirts or hoodies get a slightly trimmer cut simple colours, no bright shouty colours and no big huge logos. Those are the things that change sort of looking slobby to looking smart but casual. Yeah, I think there's a way to do that and also look at the shoes. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Men now have such more wide variety of shoes to wear. Step away from the trainers but even some trainers look beautiful. Absolutely. You wouldn't have heard me say that two years ago. I was wearing trainers today. I mean, I splashed out a couple of years ago and bought myself a pair of Common Projects trainers, dark green. They're as expensive as a pair of handmade shoes. I think they're even more expensive now and they're very, very well made but now there are much more options. There's a style of trainer that's sometimes called a a GAT or a German army trainer and it's a very classic normally plain white trainer but I've seen fantastic versions of this 
you could go and buy a pair of common projects for several hundred pounds and they'll last you 15 years and they'll look great. But equally, you could go to somewhere like Marks and Spencer did some last summer in their Italian Collezioni range, which were fantastic. But any kind of relatively low profile, simple colours, simple design trainers and you can wear them with chinos you can wear them with jeans you know a pair of well-fitting dark jeans some plain trainers a simple gray well-fitting sweatshirt and a brown leather jacket is classic menswear casual and looks great absolutely so my sort of winter look at the moment for casual is trousers shirt and a overcoat but having an overcoat that's got a pocket so i put a pocket square in the pocket and wear a scarf and use my overcoat as my sort of suit coat but then i take off the overcoat when i go into somewhere and i have more casual of trousers and shoes and a shirt of some description and usually a, a slightly more bolder shirt than I would wear with a suit. Yes, and overcoats are great like that because there's a lot of variety in them. So you could get something very structured in English, like a traditional Chesterfield type overcoat. That's great because you can wear it with your suit on your Monday morning going into work and you can wear it with chinos and a chunky sweater going to the pub on Sunday afternoon. And you can also get more casual, sort of softer-shouldered overcoats it's like the italian styled ones i love those i mean i have four or five overcoats and the thing i love about overcoats is they last for years because they don't see such heavy wear so i've got overcoats that i bought in my 20s that are still going strong those can make a real difference so i think that's a good shout boots i quite like for casual suede chuckers or sort of lightweight boots or big heavy outdoorsy boots i really like chini the british shoemaker they do really, really nice walking-style boots that are smart enough to wear with good jeans, chinos, flannels. And in fact, even sometimes in winter, I'll wear them with a flannel or a tweed suit. And they're really comfortable and they're really practical and they look better than a pair of sloppy sports trainers. We are mixing and matching now a lot more as men, and I think that's a great thing. I just think the general male populace needs to understand how to put things together. The students I teach at the moment, is interesting that, you know, of those guys in this class i would say 10 maybe 15 percent of them they've thought about what they're wearing they've thought about this is the image that i'm projecting the rest of them uh, you can generally tell they haven't really thought about it at all it's quite tough because for men suits are easy because suits match so the trousers and the jacket match and then you wear an appropriately colored shirt and gets a little bit tricky around the tie and the pocket square but only slightly But when it comes to casual wear, you've got much more choice in terms of style, colour, design, logo, all of that sort of thing. One final thing before we close on that, just a recommendation, and this is great for casual officers and going out for lunch with your parents or whatever, long sleeve polo shirts with no bright colours. That's one of my current favourites because you can wear it under a jumper you can wear it under a jacket especially if it has a robust enough collar to stand up sometimes you'll see them called popover shirts they're fantastic gentlemen of the world let's get a little bit more smart with our casual yes indeed well there we go it's uh, wrapped up today's episode i hope we've had some fun and interest for the new year wishing you all out there a happy new year and good luck with your resolutions or changes of direction uh, if you need to get hold of us please drop us line at enquiries at theperfectgentleman.tv or you can catch us on social media facebook Instagram, Twitter, we're all there. So look forward to hearing from you soon. James, as always, a pleasure. And you, my friend. Have a great week. You too. See you next week. This podcast is brought to you by the Perfect Gentleman Group Limited and was edited by Andy Nichol at the Pistachio Palace.